chapter 6, verses 3 through 7. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit at your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them. I'm going to ad-lib a little here. By ad-lib, I mean just keep reading. You shall bind them as a sign on your heart, hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys can be seated. I do want to dismiss our school-age kids to the back uh, with their teachers. Man, we are blessed at our little church to have teachers uh, that love kids, that um, love Jesus, and have the ability to teach your kids to be that second voice in their life. What's your phone, Rachel? Sure. There you go. Um, <laughs> So we are in this uh, brand new series called Courageous Parenting. And um, we are starting today, we started today, our family summits. We do this uh, once a year. We have done all kind of formats for this event. We've done uh, fully digital during COVID where we had a bunch of talks put online and you watched at your house. We've done an all-day Saturday. We've done Friday nights. Um, we've done Sundays like this. Uh, this is the first time that it's been like a, a three-week kind of uh, process. And as I think Jamie will share later, uh, the next few Sundays at our 930 hour, we're going to talk through a few very specific topics to help empower and equip you as parents. And we just spent the past hour walking through, uh, uh, parenting is a journey. Is that, is that fair to say? Um, and we've kind of walked through these kind of seven different like mile markers or milestones that most parents walk through in raising their kids um, as Christians. And uh, I kind of left with the tease in that class that in our own power, we, we don't have the ability to parents uh, in, in that way. Um, I'm reminded of myself yesterday watching the first half of the LSU game and, you know, being frustrated and, um, and I yelled at TV one time and, and my son Connor got like, why are you yelling? I was like, that's a great question, Connor. That's a great question. They're 19 year olds and I'm yelling at them from a TV. And, um, it was a real gut check for me. I was like, what in the world? And it's this reminder of the desperate need of grace that every one of us is in, correct? And I'm just going to be real honest this morning as I was preparing for this. And, and I want to help us as parents. I really do. But in my heart of hearts, I don't think our issue is just simply a parenting method or a parenting style or a parenting issue. I, I really don't. Uh, I, I, I really believe this in my own heart and our hearts. It's a kingdom issue. The role of a Christian preacher, first and foremost, is to declare the good news of King Jesus. So, so this morning, hear this, parents. 
non-parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, you have no kids in your life, whatever you are today, hear this today. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. Jesus Christ came to set captives free. Jesus Christ invites us into his kingdom life. Hear this, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, invites you and me, us, to walk in his kingdom. But to walk in his kingdom, it requires our life. And friends, today the invitation is there for us as people in Shreveport, Bossier, in October 2022, in a gymnasium, gymnasium to hear the good news that Jesus came, defeated death, defeated sin, rescued sinners and slaves, and is inviting us into his kingdom. We have today the invitation. And here's the invitation to take that first step for you into his kingdom. You have maybe never professed faith, real faith, that he's the king and given your life to him. Or maybe you're here and you're a seasoned saint, a seasoned sinner saved by grace, right? Today, you can walk in more joy, more abundant life as you walk further into his kingdom. And I believe the greatest need that our kids have is parents who walk in joyful submission to the king. And then our little households all throughout our community, their little taste of heaven as they experience from their parents. Hear this, friends. Culture is not neutral. Culture is not neutral. I think we live and parent from a false premise that there's three kingdoms. Read this book years ago called The Kingdom Matrix. And he talked about the church in the West. Maybe their biggest issue is that we believe there are three kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus. There's the kingdom of darkness where Satan is the leader. But also, there's this kingdom of the gray. And that as long as we don't parent or walk in the kingdom of darkness, we can walk in the gray and it's going to be okay. We can kind of parent on neutral, kind of just walk in this different kind of way. Don't fully submit ourselves, our parenting, our kids to God's kingdom and we'll be just fine. But I want to tell you, the game has changed in 2022. Uh, the enemy has always been at work, but his ways are very unique, unique today. I, I want to remind us, and this is stolen from John Mark Comer, uh, of how the schemes of the enemy, of Satan, happen. It's this phrase right here. Deceptive ideas that come from the devil, that play to disordered desires, which is our flesh, that are normalized in a sinful society, the world. There's the enemy, there's our flesh, and there is the world. And, and friends, this is fully at play. Think about an issue even like gender. And this is not me being disrespectful to anybody that struggles with anything like that in this room. But even with gender, this right here, there's this deceptive idea that gender is a spectrum. And there's this disordered desire in some people where they feel different, where they, where they feel weird. And then the world normalizes this falsehood and says your gender is wrong and you should be yourself. 
in just this one idea, even of just gender. We could pick a plethora of issues, but just on gender, we see how the enemy schemes of our flesh and the world are coming together. Hear this. Disorder desires, uh, the flesh and kids and teenagers, that is not a new proposition. I was 12 years old at one point. I was 13 years old. I was 14 years old. And I, whatever age that was for you, I call it the crisis of identity. Have you been there? The crisis of identity. And, and truth be told, if it wasn't for a godly group of friends and adults, I would not be here today. But by God's grace, he put those people in my life. So that's always been there, that those kind of disordered desires, this crisis of identity in a young person, that's always been there. It's not new. Here is what is new. The enemy's deceptive idea is new. Is this right here? He now goes for our kids' identity. You notice that? He's always done this on some, but today it's even more unique. Where in my day and age, uh, I might turn away and do some bad things. In this day and age, the idea is you might turn away and change who you are. Your entire belief system, your entire uh, sexuality, your entire gender, all these things now are fully normalized in a sinful world, are they not? That is the world that we live in. So there's this new deceptive idea that has its tentacles all over culture. Second, the way things are normalized in the world, there is now a megaphone through social media. Is there not? I remember growing up, uh, you remember Friday nights? What was Friday nights? TGIF, right? I remember sitting around the TV with my parents watching Full House, watching Urkel. What's the one with uh, Balky? Perfect strangers, thank you, thank you. Uh, Mr. C we, we sat down, four of us, and watched TV together, the same show for like three hours on a Friday night. And then Love Connection came on, I leave the room. That's the way it worked. Uh, remember that show? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, and then MASH came on. Oh my gosh, MASH. Um, but say, nowadays, we have families that aren't experiencing the same things together, are they? What is typical in a family is that we have four or five individuals in a house with their own device, their own stream, their own inputs, their own messages that are being normalized in a sinful society. When I was 14 years old as a freshman at Southwood High School, go Cowboys, I was made fun of a lot. I was super cool, but I was still made fun of a lot. Um, <laughs> I remember going home and being so glad that school is done, right? Because the attack on my identity was done at three o'clock. Hear this, friends. The attack on our 14-year-old's identities are not done at three o'clock anymore. They're happening 24-7. The temptations I faced when I was around certain friends at school or even at church or, or this or that, they ended at a certain point. With the rise of social media, the rise of technology, the temptations are never ceasing, friends. The lies of the enemy are being normalized through a megaphone that we've never had. So the role for a parent, a Christian parent in this day and age, there, there is no word to describe how vital and essential it is. We scared you? 
I don't want to scare us today. Because hear this, I want, to hear, I want you to hear this. It is possible to raise kids and teenagers who love Jesus, want to follow Jesus, and will help others follow Jesus. That is not a pipe dream. But I do want to tell you this, for a moment, place your 13-year-old self in your child's shoes. With your child's device, with your child's school, with your child's social media, with your child's pressures. And for a moment, just think about what they are walking in. So in light of this, I think, new reality, I think parents, uh, Christian parents, even secular parents, are trying all kinds of things within this crisis, where there's a rise of depression, a rise of suicide, a rise of all these awful things. Friends have hit our community. We have educators in this room that have wept with families through the lies of the enemy. And friends, the church can't be silent here, can we? Uh, Not for our kids or the sake of the kids in our community. But I believe there's these four insufficient parenting methods that we try. The first is right here. We just give in. Listen, we're tired. We're t- we, just, we just give in. And it, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on anybody in this room, I promise. But I, growing, I remember the, the growing up this. There was these parents where the party could be at these parents' house because they would allow the kids to drink at their house. 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds having a good old time at Johnny's house, right? Because his parents... Well, they're going to drink. Might as well be where I can watch them while they drink, right? And if that's you in this room, there's, that's not condemnation. That's just probably unwise. I'm sorry. Um, but there's this sense that's just giving in. That's being tired. It's like we, we can't fight this battle. Have all the apps you want. Have, have the phone. Go do this. All these things. It's just we're to be like the world. The, the battle is just too much, and we just give in. I don't think within our church that's a real plethora of people, but I believe it could be some of us. And if we're honest, there's moments where that's how we parent, correct? Like, I just can't fight this battle. This is just too much here. We just give in. Second insufficient method is the 10 percenters. The 10 percenters, this is where I'm going to start stepping stepping on my toes and your toes. It's those who like, we just kind of, we're going to be like 10% different than the rest of the world. We're going to make sure that we're at church once, twice a month. We're not going to do these crazy things. We don't really believe these crazy things. We're going to give some money here. We're going to have this kind of veneer of cultural Christianity, and we're going to maybe look okay from the outside, but internally there's no real heart change or no real difference between us and the rest of the world. That's the 10 percenters. Or, or, or maybe we kind of go a step beyond that and we just kind of focus on doctrine and rules. That listen, if my kids, if my kids, this is kind of where I grew up in, really honestly, that I just want to teach my kids these things about God, uh, know these things, and at least act right in public, right? Uh, don't embarrass our family. Just this kind of almost pharisaical approach to parenting. But as the world gets darker and the world gets scary, we kind of pull out our last resort uh, as a parent. As we see this darkness, as we see other kind of people that we don't fully understand or get, we do this last parenting thing. We demonize and we hide from the world. 
we demonize and we hide from the world. Hear this, friends. Fear of the other person is not a fruit of the Spirit. I am not saying we shouldn't protect our kids or, or be wise with our kids. But I will say this. When we spend our entire dialogue around the world as demonizing the world, because here's, I want to tell you a secret. No matter where you are today, the, the person that you're afraid of the most to influence you and your kids, the person you might dislike the most to influence you and your kids, that person is made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God, they will not be a total demonic person. And here's what we do. We demonize the other. We demonize the atheist, right? No, they're just, they don't believe in God. They do this, they do that. And then here's what happens. Our kids believe this to a certain point, And then they meet an atheist. And the atheist is nicer than most Christians they know. And then because we demonized and we hid them from the world, they're now experiencing this whole new reality. And it leads this crisis of faith. I've seen it over and over and over. And it doesn't matter what your other is. It could be a Republican. It could be a homosexual. It could be this, whatever your other is. If we demonize and we hide and never, because I heard a pastor say this recently, a sexual sin, homosexuality, uh, gender disorders. We're not hiding from those things, church. I went to the beach this summer and it was right in all of my kids' faces. All of those things. And, and friends, if we're not ready to have answers to some of those questions, our kids will find an answer somewhere else. Does that make sense? The good news is coming. Don't worry. It's not all bad. I promise. But friends, we have to understand these methods, whether it's just giving in, well, I'll be 10% different, or just do these things, or we're going to hide from the world. Th those methods are ineffective. And this morning at, at 930, we, we tried to lay out how we can walk in this counter-formation plan. The enemy, this other kingdom of darkness, wants to form our kids in a certain way. And we let out this plan of counter-formation. But I'll, I'll tell you this. The best methods, the best plans in the world are insufficient without kingdom-surrendered parents. You have the best plans in the world, but it comes down to us. It comes down, comes down to us walking with God. Friends, we can't settle for third kingdom life. We can't settle for the kingdom of gray. We have to, to give our kids in word and deed a tangible expression and picture of what it looks like to be surrendered kingdom disciples to the king of kings. To point our kids to the kingdom, to the king, we need courageous parents. We need courageous parents. Are we going to walk as courageous parents that, that show and display the kingdom of Jesus? Or are we going to live in fear? Because see, courageous parenting, it's not, here's the good news. Here's where it gets good. Courageous parenting is not for the select few. 
It's not for the superstar Christian. The kingdom of Jesus is upside down. Amen? He didn't pick the best the best. He picked me. Right? Thank you for that. I appreciate that. He picks the ones who cannot do it on their own. So if you feel insufficient today, welcome to the club of the kingdom of Jesus, which is full of insufficient, tired, inconsistent, unwise people. But hear this today. As we submit and surrender to the king, what does he send us? The power of the Holy Spirit. And the spirit does not bring a spirit of fear, does it, church? It brings a spirit of boldness. And the spirit then creates courageous parents. Courageous parents who love to the end. Courageous parents who mess up over and over. But what that household is known as is the household of grace. That apologies are more frequent than perfection. There is a place for Jesus' kingdom parents, and it's not for the select few. It's not for the perfect. It's for the weak. It's for the weary and the broken down. And Jesus says, come, come. So where do we start? That's just the intro. I'm sorry. So where do we start? Where do we start to walk in his, I'm going to give it away. Let's give it away right now. There's three things that we need to walk in his kingdom and to see our households look like a taste of heaven here on earth. Three things. He needs our allegiance. He needs our devotion. He needs our obedience. He needs our allegiance above everything. If he's the king, he's the king. But allegiance just in word is not sufficient. He also needs our devotion. And, and devotion and love is always carried out in obedience. Trust and obey, right, Dave? So let's go here. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6. Courageous parenting begins and ends with the love of God. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. We have probably preached this passage 50 times in our 12 years of the church. But I'll, this is the goodness and just the complexity and beauty of God's word. As I studied this week, there was more. There's just more there. First thing, friends, you cannot pass down what you do not love. You, whoever is your king, you'll pass that down to your kids. If your king is money, guess what your kid's king will be. At least for a while, it'll be money. If you pass down comfort, what is your kid's king? It's comfort. If you pass down whatever it is, you're going to pass down what you love. So, so our three actions. Allegiance first. Give you some context here. Moses is talking to God's people, the Israelites. They've been delivered from Egypt. They've been rescued. They've been saved from slavery. Sound familiar? Like our church today, full of sinners saved from the slavery of sin and death. He has rescued us. We are now God's people. They were God's people. And, and Moses is preparing them to enter this new land. 
And this new land, much like our world today, is a pagan land full of all kinds of gods, all kind of idols, all kind of lesser things that want to entrap the people of God and take their focus from King Jesus to a lesser king. That is the world that they're walking into. And Moses is giving them, in a sense, all throughout Deuteronomy, like the laws of God. But Deuteronomy 6 is unique. It's this phrase called the Shema, that even today, uh, Jewish people pray this prayer, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the prayer of the people of God, this essential truth. And so we look here at verse 4, and it says here, which might be normal to us, but to these people it was very unique, that God is one. They're going into a culture of multiple gods, right? But this God is unique. He is one in himself. He is three in one. Therefore, he is to be the sole object of the Israelites' worship and allegiance. It's that kind of thing where like, um, you ever go somewhere with your kids and like they keep looking here and looking there. No, no, look at me. Let me see you in the face. God is saying, no, 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 no. I am one. I, I demand your allegiance. We are to love God alone because there's only one that is worthy of that kind of worship. There's only one king worthy of that, friends, and it's him, Jesus. See, God was reminding, preparing for them what they're headed into. But we know what happens, right? If you, if you know even a little bit of scripture as you walk through the Old Testament, it's this story over and over of God's people, the Israelites, not heeding his instruction. They do go into these lands, and what happens? Their hearts are turned. Their eyes are turned. Their allegiance is turned to the lesser thing. Over and over and over. And here's why. And this is what happens to us, too the lesser gods are so subtle, aren't they? The lesser gods that grab their tentacles around my heart for its allegiance are so subtle. This is why I talk about the kingdom of darkness, light, and the gray. The gray kingdom is it's really, really subtle. And so if you think about their idols were made of wood and carvings and these kind of things like that, but our idols are different today. And as we're talking about parenting, I think there's one major idol we have to address, and it's the idol of our kids. It's the idol of our kids. In a suburban context like we live in, in a world we live in where the, 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 the child, the kid, and, and their wishes are supreme, we have to address this idol. Jesus himself, when he was here on earth in the flesh, spoke on this in Luke 14. You know, people start following, he starts getting popular and he says this, verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said, can you imagine his followers? Like, Jesus, just be cool for a minute. We got a good following here. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, and yes, even his own life. Be cool, Jesus, come on. He cannot be my disciple. 
he's speaking to the cost of following him. That because our allegiance to him and his kingdom is so supreme and so high that it looks like we hate our kids, we hate our spouse, we hate our parents. Here's why he says this and why he demands our allegiance. Our kids are not worthy of that kind of worship. Our kids cannot support that kind of worship. They are a false and a hollow God. They're a beautiful gift and a terrible God. God knows the joys of a life found in full allegiance to him. And he also knows the heartache, the heartbreak, the missteps, the sin, the tragedy that happens from surrendering and worshiping the lesser thing. And friends, that's so true with our kids, is it not? Courageous parents place allegiance to God over their kids. I'll tell you this as a parent, I know this is true for me. So much of my anxiety, my busyness, my angst, my exhaustion is rooted in this disorder. By flipping this order of worship and allegiance of my kids and my family and their safety and their happiness and their well-being and their comfort as the supreme thing, it's through that flipping of that order that just makes my life when I walk in that just heavy and tiring and discouraging. But here's the issue. I think we all, if you have a belief in Jesus and an understanding of scripture, you might affirm with me that yes, our allegiance must be to our King Jesus first. But if you're also like me, I have professed that allegiance In my heart of hearts, I have that allegiance. I believe that he is much better of worship than my kids are. I know that for sure, actually. But here's the issue, is my allegiance wanes. Does yours not? Like it kind of comes and goes depending on the day. So how do we maintain our allegiance? Or how do we walk in the power that God has promised us? Go to verse 5, if you don't mind Moses says here to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your minds. To love God with everything. See, these words, heart and soul here are really not different parts of the person. They're speaking primarily to the internal functions and parts and character of a person. Your mind, your emotions, your will. And here's what Moses is kind of putting on his people and even us today, that we must cultivate our love for God. Devotion is what we're after. So so, so allegiance is kind of like this big kind of, we put a stake in the thing and we say, God God is our God. Uh, But devotion is the everyday. It's the, the night in, it's the slow, it's the consistent, it's the faithful. Devotion is allegiance fleshed out in everyday life. Because here's what I'm going to tell you, especially in your parenting. Your heart 
must be cultivated. If we're not intentional with cultivating our hearts to God, a thousand other things will take its place. And what you cultivate ultimately is what you give your life and your allegiance to. And in verse 5, here's the beauty of our God, is that we're not given a sense of list of rules to do, to do this. We're given a relationship. We're given this posture and this picture of love, loving God with everything. Listen, friends, we don't cultivate these things to earn anything, but friends, we must do the work of cultivation. God loved them, God freed them, they were his people, but their work to do was cultivation. If we want allegiance to God and the promised power that God has promised his people that we do need to love and parent our kids, it happens through devotion. Look at Paul's words in Galatians. Galatians 6 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one, here's my my underline, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Sowing, cultivation is about primarily how we devote our time, our money, and our energy. And if I'm honest, if, if we're honest, our time, what we sow, many times is not reaping this eternal and abundant life. If we did um, just an inventory of our, our bank account and our schedule, yeah, I don't want to say that because that's convicting for me. Um, <laughs> hear this, friends. Courageous parents devote their time to God before their kids. I remember um, before we had kids, um, we got married, and then like six months in, Trace like, all right, I'm tired of you. I want kids now. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I get it. Um, I live here too with me. And um, we had kids, and I am an introvert by nature. And I think the thing I love the most in the world is solitude and silence. And I had no idea how much of that I was losing when I had kids, right? You just kind of lose just like that idea of just being, in a sense. That, that's okay. It's just an adjustment. And what's ha- what happens in my life a lot of times is that I fill I feel my life with two things, either devotion to my kids and their needs or devotion to my flesh. Here's what happens. I place my kids in the place of allegiance, the place of worship, so that I give myself over to them, their wants, their needs, their activities, their education, whatever they want to do, and then I find myself exhausted. Are you tracking with me right now? I find myself exhausted, and the only thing I want to do is watch Netflix, scroll my phone, sleep all day. I just want to just binge my flesh to my flesh. But here's the problem. My flesh is never satisfied. Is yours? I can binge, devote myself to my flesh all day long. And I, here's a problem, though. It's the wrong gas, isn't it? 
other day, Tracy wants to put some kind of wrong gas in her car. And she's like, almost, I said, like, well, don't do that. Mess your car up. We are filling our tanks up with the wrong gas every single day. There's three kinds of devotion I want to put in front of you. We say, we say this all the time, but I think they're essential. Here's the first. You need to have, I believe, daily silence and solitude with God and scripture and prayer. Second, you need to have a rhythm of Sabbath rest in your life where you and your family are off the grid. Third, you need a community of faith around you to encourage you, challenge you, and equip you with the word. That in your life, as you cultivate, as you sow the seeds of your soul, remove kids for a minute. Your kids will benefit from the, remove your kids, just for you and God in your abundant life. The gas in your tank to refine your allegiance to God is gonna have to require silence with God and his word every single day. It's going to require you ceasing activity and being and proving and striving at least once a week. And third, you need a community of faith like Reynolds shared earlier around you to encourage you on the days when you want to give up. Amen? You need a community around you to kick you in your butts and challenge you when you want to give up. You need faithful men and women to equip you with the greatest news in the world, that the gospel and the good news of Jesus is real and is for you. If we don't give our life to those things, we should not be surprised when we live a lack of abundance in our life. And here's why I'm really going to press on us today. There are things in our lives I believe there's kids' activities in our lives. There are hobbies in our lives that we need to push aside for the greater thing. We need to push aside the Cheetos for the steak because, friends, we are filling our tanks with something that's not fulfilling. And we have to, if we really want to be courageous parents to give our kids a taste of God's kingdom in our households, then we have to not just speak a word of allegiance. We have to live this life. Dallas Willard says it this way. Now, a discipline is an activity that's in our power, which we pursue in order to become able to do what we cannot do by direct effort. You want to parent your kids in a better and healthier way? Get up at 5 a.m. and sit with God. There are people in your life that you look at as superstar Christians. Two things. First, they're not. Second, the secret behind every Christian you admire is their closet. The secret, the secret is you and God and nothing else. You want to parent in a more patient way? Get with God. Let him cultivate your soul. This leads to our last action of being a courageous parent. Look at verse 6. Moses says here, These words, the law of God that I command you today shall be on your heart. And this phrasing is intentional, this word on your heart. Think about the New Testament. What does is, what is we see in 1 John 5? It says, the test of a man's love for Jesus is that he keeps his commandments. This picture of being on the person's heart is this picture of a life lived of love and joyful obedience to the king. 
This passage shows that obedience to the commandments is an outgrowth of love. So as you give your allegiance to him, nothing else has your, has your attention and your worship. And you give your time and your devotion to him, what happens is this real expression of love. But that's all that it is. It's incomplete and it's not what we're looking for. The key here is the end, which is obedience. It's walking in his ways. And here's how you measure obedience in scripture. It's through a growing in love for others. Matthew 22 says this. Somebody asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, he goes to the Shema, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. Verse 39, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two depend all the law and the prophets. You can measure your obedience by measuring your love. You can measure your obedience by measuring your love. As we give our allegiance to God, devote our lives to God in practice, and obey God by loving others, this is the recipe for an abundant and transformed life of a courageous parent. As we walk in these three essential things, what happens is that we look different from the inside out. Allegiance, devotion, obedience. But I think if we're gonna close with this, this is our main issue, is what do we put in the top of that, of that um, triangle? If we have allegiance right there and devotion and obedience, what's at the top? Until we truly resolve in word and practice and in deed that God is the worthy king and we submit under his kingship, we're always gonna walk as fearful parents. We're going to live what we feel is insufficient, ineffective, incomplete, inconsistent lives. He says, come all who are weary. There may be no topic that I could think of where I feel most ill-equipped and most like a failure as it, when it comes to parenting. And I think as we kind of wrap this, this idea of being a courageous parent and the idea today is that we can learn to be the kind of Jesus follower that our kids could then follow. That, that's, that, that, that is the heart of today's sermon, my, my biggest point. But I just want to say this, um, no matter what you've done, how old your kids are, where you've been, how insufficient you might feel. Jesus is saying this, come all who are weary. Come all who are weary. And he will take our mess. He has taken my mess over and over and over and over again. So that's the invitation today. That's the application. There's a, I have other points I could make, but I just want to invite us today. Take your card, come find the prayer team in the back, whatever your step is today, but come to Jesus. Bring all the mess, bring all the stuff, bring your stuff 
to him. And I believe through that faithful step today, you'll be amazed at how God can transform your life and transform your household. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you um, as, as a people that are all over the map today, I believe. But I think the one constant, the one consistent is our need for you. As we look at the responsibility we have as parents, I pray that we don't, uh, we don't get paralyzed in shame or in fear, but that our eyes and our heart would shift towards you. And that we would simply, even as Peter did in the water for a few moments, just look at you. Look at you, recommit their allegiance to you, make a plan for life on how to devote their time and to follow you. Because I pray that we would truly walk as courageous parents. Parents where our kids do experience a tangible experience of your kingdom here on earth, Father. That we'd be households that prayed that prayer you taught us to pray, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let us be known to our kids as people who have been with Jesus. We might mess this up or mess that up or do bad at math, but I pray that, that, the, that the biggest rock, that we'd be Jesus' parents to our kids, would be as clear as anything we could imagine. So, Lord, we come. Let us come to you. Lord, give a person right now sitting in these green chairs, give them uh, the faith to write that card, to say, I need help here. Give them the faith to go to the back and ask for prayer. Give them the faith to really come back to you or to come to you for the first time. We love you, Jesus. We ask, I pray all this in your name. Amen. Um, we're going to sing a song in a moment, but before we do that, we're going to take communion. And for all of the weary parents, grandparents, followers of Jesus, the table is for you. The table is for me. Because the body and the blood show that we are insufficient, but he is sufficient, right? And so we come today, we do work with God. We share, we confess, we do the work with God, but then we partake. In faith, we partake that he is sufficient, he is good, and he is better. So do your work with God, pray a in the back, do work on your card, come when you're ready.